Um, yeah. Actually, just to add to the thing about Alpha, I've kind of got a testimony around that, really, because I have a, a really, really good friend who, you know, I'd kind of talked to about Jesus for sort of many years. And um, eventually, she and her husband moved away. And you know that thing when you feel like rats, they've moved, you know, so that's it now. You know, no, no one else is going to be able to do anything. <laughs> I mean, you don't really think that, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, God, God's sometimes got a sense of humor. Anyway, so they hadn't been that long gone, uh, gone long. And, um, she ended up going to church just because her children had gone to a holiday club there. And they liked it so much they wanted to go back. And so she loved her kids and she started taking them. Well, she went for a while and then someone said to her, why don't you do an alpha? And, um, so she went on the alpha and she wasn't too sure about it. And, the church that she was, um, she went with, they actually took people away for the weekend, the Holy, called Holy Spirit weekend. And, um, and it got to the bit where, you know, everyone was suggest, suggested they close their eyes and uh, just, you know, ask Holy Spirit to come. And she'd listened to all this stuff and really nothing had changed in her. She was in her kind of eyes, well, I'm not really sure why I'm here, just going to church because of my children. But then she thought it's going to be really embarrassing to be the only one sat here with my eyes open. So I'll close my eyes like everyone else. So she closed her eyes and then she said she was sitting there and she thought, well, I suppose everybody else is asking. I might as well just ask a question. And she just said, Holy Spirit, come. And she was just completely flattened by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. (laughs) And then this is a few years back now. And then she went home and uh, it was a Sunday and she went home and her husband wasn't there. Husband had always been very anti, you know, anything to do with church and religion, really. And um, she rang me up and she said, guess what, I've become a Christian. I'm like, yay. And then she said, but I don't know where Kevin is. Um, he's out with the kids and I'm really scared to tell him. So I'm like, right, don't worry, I'm going to pray. Anyway, he eventually comes back with the kids and she says, oh, where have you been? And he said, well, you weren't here to take them to church, so I thought I'd better do it. <laughs> anyway, long story short, he became a Christian as well. And, you know, that's fantastic. So really, I know we all have these hang-ups about Alpha. Oh, what's, you know, what people think of it? You know, do I really want to ask my friend? But it isn't really about you, is it? It's about what Holy Spirit does when people come. Even ones like my friend who are really not sure why they're going to be there. So be thinking about who you could, you can ask to one of, to that. Okay, there's your plug, Dave. Is he here? I can't see how he's downstairs, alright. Okay, so. I don't know about you, um, but right now, I'm feeling quite happy with my life. Um, I have a husband of 37 years and three grown-up sons, one with a, a fairly new wife and another one with a, a girlfriend. They've been together for eight years. And, um, you know, I love them all very much. Um, I, I have a house that I love, that I live in. I love my job. Um, I have food to eat. I have clothes to wear. I have... Um, treats now and again, um, my circumstances are, are pretty good. And inside, you know, I feel pretty good inside as well because, you know, I feel close to God. You know, I feel full of faith and hope for the future. And, and life feels pretty good. You can all hate me now, right? <laughs> but actually, you know, I haven't always in my life felt like that. Now, there have been seasons for me that have not been like that. And some of you might, you know, be sort of resonating with what I'm, I'm saying. You know, you might be in a place like me at the moment where you're thinking, yeah, life's pretty good. But for some of you, maybe you're not going through that kind of season. Maybe you're going through, you know, a tougher season. And there are different times and different seasons in our life. 
So like when Stuart and I wanted to start a family years ago and two years later we were still waiting and I was believing the lie that it was my fault because for the first eight years of our marriage and before that I'd spent a lot of time saying, oh, I don't want children. And so I believed, I started to believe that the reason that I wasn't getting pregnant was because of what I'd said. And that was really hard and, you know, It's not true, but sometimes when stuff's going on in our life, that little lie creeps in, doesn't it? You know, what have I done? Why isn't God blessing me? You know, maybe this is is my fault. Maybe I'm not worthy of God's blessing in my life. And then there was um, another time when um, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I couldn't sleep at night because of the pain in my legs And I couldn't keep up with my 80-year-old mother who would walk around blue water faster than I could manage. And she had problems with her feet. So it wasn't wasn't, that wasn't easy at all. And after five years of, of dealing with that, I was saying, God, you know, why don't you heal me? I know you can heal because I've seen you heal other people. You know, why don't you want to heal me? And then getting fed up with going up for prayer because you feel like you're disappointing people every time you don't get healed. Now that's not true either. That's a lie. The people that kind of heal, you know, praying for you, yeah, you know, they're in faith. But actually my faith for being healed was kind of pretty low. And then even when our eldest son was aged 18 and he, he was ill and the blood tests indicated and the doctors were concerned that he had a form of cancer. And we were up at the hospital with him um, for the biopsy and then waiting anxiously for the result. God, can I really trust you with the people that I love? Because actually, that's harder sometimes than trusting God for myself. And some of you will resonate with some of this because you are in a tough season at the moment. And maybe you're thinking, you know, what did I do wrong? Or why doesn't God heal me? Or why doesn't God do something about the circumstances that I find myself in? And we know that, you know, Christians are not immune from the bad stuff. Because the bad stuff came along with the fall, didn't it? And it's not really a question of if we have trouble come into our lives But it's the question, what do we do with it when it does? What I do with the bad stuff or with trouble when it comes into my life or with the storms that we sometimes find ourselves in is really important because it affects the impact that it has on me at the time when I'm going through it. It impacts the fruit that comes out of it, you know, what I learn from it, what that does for me and to me. And it also affects how I deal with the next season, the next tough season that comes along. In John's Gospel, chapters 15 and 16, don't worry, I'm not going to read through all of that. But if you were to start about halfway through John chapter 15 and then read through to the end of 16, you find Jesus telling his disciples about some of the bad stuff that they're going to have to deal with after his death and crucifixion. And although they didn't entirely understand what was going on at the time, they were questioning, well, what does he mean? What's he saying? Jesus was saying, when I go back to the Father. And I don't think they really understood that because, you know, they had started to think, well, yeah, this is the Messiah. And in their thinking, the Messiah was going to, you know, free them from the tyranny of the Romans that was oppressing Israel at that time. 
So when he was talking about going back to the father, they go, what, what does he mean? What's he talking about? But he, he tells them that once he's gone back to the father, some of them are going to be put out of the synagogue. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be hated. And some of them are even going to be killed. And he tells them that when he goes back to the father, they're going to grieve for him. But then he goes on to tell them that their grief will turn to joy. And they're thinking, well, what does all of this mean? Death and crucifixion wasn't in their thinking. But then right at the end of the chapter, right at the end of chapter 16, we read this. John 16, 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I'm thinking, right, okay, so I'm sure they were thinking some of us are going to be killed, some of us are going to be persecuted, we're going to be put out of the synagogue, and you're telling us this so we'll have peace. Mm. (laughs) But he says, he goes on, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what was Jesus doing when he was kind of telling them all this stuff and explaining it all to them and, and taking them through the process? Because also in those chapters, it, it, he tells them about the Holy Spirit coming. So there is good news in there as well. Well, he's processing with them the things that are going to happen so that when they get there, they remember what he said and they can keep their peace and they can take heart. And what that means, when you look at those, those words in the Greek, it means this. It means when they keep their peace, it means they won't be afraid and they'll be tranquil. So it's not like the shalom peace. That has a different meaning. This peace just literally means to be tranquil and not to be afraid. And it means whatever happens, whatever storms there are, we can be in that place with Jesus. Now, I wonder whether they remembered or they thought back to that storm on the lake. Do you remember when um, Jesus was sleeping in the boat and uh, the disciples are panicking and not knowing what to do? And they're like, why are you sleeping? Wake up. We're going to drown. I wonder whether they thought back to that when he said that they could have peace despite the trouble that was coming. And take heart. What does that mean? It literally means be courageous. We can be courageous and they would be courageous because Jesus already had the victory. He had, we, we, when we see the words overcome the world, sometimes we sort of feel like it's, you know, Jesus against the world. It's not that. It's actually he has the victory in any circumstances that we find in this, this world. And we can trust him for that. Sometimes... God gives us a prophetic word of difficult times ahead. And we read of um, that in, in, uh, in Genesis where um, God tells Noah about the flood that's coming and how to prepare for it, what he needs to do, how to build the ark, all the, all the kind of plans that he needs, God gives him. And then when the deluge begins, Noah's not thrown by that because he's been processing with God. What's going to happen? Now, we get the account in Genesis, and obviously it tells us, you know, God told Noah to build the ark, and he tells him how to make it, and he tells him the animals are going to come, and all that stuff. But we don't have everything written down in the Bible, the whole conversation. Um, I think in the New Testament, isn't it? I can never remember which gospel. He said, if you, if we were to write down all the things that Jesus did when he was here, it would kind of fill, I don't know how many books. So we don't have everything. 
But I don't think that it was just a, you know, God kind of shows up like Morgan Freeman, you know, and sort of says, Noah, build the ark, and this is what you do. No, it was the conversation. He had a conversation with Noah. He was processing with Noah what was going to happen so that when that deluge came, Noah could keep his place, his peace, and Noah could um, be courageous. Because, again, we read these stories, and particularly with, with stories like Noah's Ark, I mean, we get them when we're kind of young, don't mean Sunday school, those of you who were sort of in church then, and, and, you know, they're the Bible stories we all know very well. But if you stop for a minute and imagine what it must have been like when those um, waters started to fall, and, it, it, and the work, even the work that it must have, have been to create that ark, I mean, the blisters on his hands and, you know, the tiredness and maybe people that didn't understand and maybe thinking, you know, I'm building this huge, great thing. Is it really going to happen? Have I heard God right? And there is sort of an indication when you read through the, the, the story of Noah in, in Genesis 7 that actually he went into the ark seven days before God sent him into the ark with the animals, seven days before the flood came. And if that's right, I was sitting there thinking, God, imagine being in the ark. God's kind of shut you the door there and you're in the ark with all these animals, some of which might have eaten you in a different life. Um, and, and, you know, you're just waiting, waiting for something to happen. I mean, that must have been quite scary in itself. He was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And that, you know, he wasn't, I don't think, I know they kind of live longer, but I don't think he was a young man. So, you know, that, that was outside his experience of the last 600 years. And it says in that passage, it says, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So it's not like, you know, just a little bit of drizzle starts and, uh, and you know, it's like, oh, starting to rain. Okay, things are getting going now. No, actually, there's a deluge of rain and the floodgates of the earth are opened and every spring and, and river and whatever it is just kind of bursts forth. And this ark, it describes it sort of rising on the waters. But actually, in that kind of turmoil, and with, you know, think of when you see floods on television in places where all the cars are going by and, you know, the tree, I know there weren't any cars then, but imagine all the stuff that was kind of going by, the things that weren't kind of, you know, attached. And, and that ark was going to be rocking around on the waters. So Noah needed to know that God was with him. He needed to feel secure. He needed to keep his peace. And today, you know, sometimes um, we, ha- we still get prophetic words from God of difficult times ahead. We had one here um, some years ago, which we call the iceberg prophecy. And if I'm not going to go into all the details, but if any of you want to know about it, just ask one of the directors. But, um, but basically, God told us that there was going to be trouble ahead and um, that we were going to need as leaders to stay on the deck and that God would bring us through that into clear water. And as we came through into clear water, then we would start fishing. And that's exactly what's happened. If you kind of know the story of Eastgate, you know what's happened here. And God told us that because we needed to know that. We needed to, we needed to stay on deck. We needed not to panic. We needed not to think, what's happening? God, where are you? What are you doing? And we needed to trust him in that place and keep our peace. Because whenever God gives us a prophetic word about trouble ahead, it's always so that we can keep our peace and be courageous. When he does that, what he's saying is, yeah, there's a difficult time ahead, but you can trust me. I'm going to bring you through this. I'm going to bring you through into a new season.
Often, though, trouble seems to appear out of a clear blue sky, doesn't it? You know, everything seems to be going wrong nicely. Um, the car hasn't broken down. The dishwasher works. The whatever it is, you know, everything seems to be going smoothly. And then suddenly a storm hits. And that's really how we felt when our son was being tested for cancer. Everything seemed to be going great. He was doing well at school, no problems. And suddenly we're kind of caught up in that sort of world of hospitals. And it's those kind of unexpected, unpredictable storms that are the ones that can really shake us if we're not prepared for them. We may not have had any prior warning, but we still can keep our peace and face it with courage and trust in God. The Psalms are interesting because when you read the Psalms, you find that actually a lot of most of them are about people processing with God the circumstances that they find themselves in. And sometimes it's like there are psalms of praise and joy and, wow, this is what God has done. And sometimes it's like, you know, God, I've gone down into the pit. You know, where are you? Where is my rescuer? And so it's it's great to read them and just think of the like human kind of feelings behind them because we so often can resonate and associate with what we read in the psalms. And as you as you read them, almost all of the psalms, um, there's one, Psalm 88, which they call the melancholy psalm because it doesn't really end that cheerfully. But most of them, the rest, you know, even the ones where people are struggling with their feelings and the stuff they're going through, they kind of see God in it and they start to understand where God is for them um, in their in their trouble. So Psalm 46 and verses 1 to 3 says this. God is our refuge and strength an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Storms might be outside of our control, but it's precisely at that moment when God encourages us not to be afraid, but to trust in him. Come up here, he says, I am your refuge. I am your safe place. I will be your strength. I will be the strength that you need. I'm right here. I'm always right here. And I'm ready to help you with whatever it is that you are going through. I'm ready to give you the help that you need to ride out this storm. But of course, we have to enter that refuge, don't we? And I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, there have been times in my life when I might look all right on the outside, but on the inside, I'm running around like a headless chicken and shouting, don't panic, don't panic, like Jonesy from Dad's Army, of those of you who are old enough to remember that. And and other times, other storms, what I've done is I've kind of tried to work it all out. You know, I've had those conversations in myself, or maybe if we do that, or if we do this, or maybe if I... So I'm trying to work it all out in myself. Or sometimes maybe I'll I'll kind of read stuff, try and get wisdom from the things that I'm reading, or talk to other people. You know, other people, it's, it's great to share stuff and get, you know, and have people support us and pray for us. But actually, I'm I'm trying to do that. And then maybe somewhere in that process, I'll suddenly think, oh, maybe the best place to have gone would be to God. Rather than wasting all that energy trying to work it out for myself or kind of put it all on other people, I need to take it to God. I need to process it with him. 
But so often the first thing we do is try and work it out ourselves. The second thing we do is try and work it out with others. And the third thing we do is think, okay, God. But God is our refuge and strength. And he is a, 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 an ever-present help in trouble. He wants us to come into that refuge. He wants us to come into that safe place with him and start to process what's going on with him. When we don't process with him, when we spend the time kind of, you know, dealing with it inside ourselves, what often happens is it's a great place for the enemy to get in and start building lies into the situation that you find yourself in. So a bit like me believing that, you know, it was my fault that I wasn't, um, I wasn't uh, conceiving at that time. And the enemy, he just loves to do that. He loves to come in when we're feeling vulnerable, when we're having a hard time, and just chuck a few lies in there. God doesn't love you as much as the person sitting opposite you in church because he's blessed them and he's not blessing you. God doesn't want to heal you because actually he doesn't care that you're in pain. And those little thoughts, if the enemy can get those in, that's what he wants to do. But when we choose to process with God... It's very hard for the enemy to get in there. That's our safe place. It's a place we can process and work things out. You see, God is the one with all the wisdom, with all the perspective and all the resources that we could ever need. He's the one who can comfort us the most. He's the one who has the greatest strength and power. And something else about God is that he is the most patient um, helping you work through that process far more patient than anyone else in your life is going to be after the crucifixion two of jesus's followers were um, traveling to the village of emmaus which was seven miles outside of jerusalem and they were talking about everything that happened you can imagine can't you i mean it was chaos behind them you know jesus had been crucified he died, he'd been put in the tomb, and then three days later, the women went to the tomb, the body's not there, what's happened? Has someone stolen the body? Where's he gone? What's going on? This was the man we thought was going to rescue us from the Romans, and he's been killed. So you can, you can imagine, can't you? Just imagine yourself in that position, the conversation they would have been having. They would have been coming up with different theories and thinking about different ideas and trying to remember the things that he'd said. And then somewhere in the middle of all that, um, a stranger, apparently a stranger, um, and another traveller joins them on the road. And, and he says to them, what are you talking about? And they, they're like, where have you been? Don't you know all the stuff that's been happening in Jerusalem? And then Jesus, because of course it is Jesus, starts to talk to them. And he takes them from the beginning of the kind of Old Testament scriptures right through. And he starts to show them all the places that talk about the Messiah and what needs to happen to him and why. And they're just amazed. And they say later, our hearts burned within us. So they know there's something incredible about what they're hearing. But they don't recognize Jesus. He doesn't doesn't reveal himself to them until later when they're sitting down for something to eat. And he breaks bread. And they, they, they realize, yeah, it's Jesus. And at that point, he disappears from their sight. So what was all of that about? Why Why did he do that? Why didn't he just come up and say, you know, hi, guys, I'm alive. Um, you know, I've risen. Um, you know, and well, I think there are, obviously there could be different, different reasons for this. But I think one of the things is, again, Jesus was processing what had happened with them. And the reason that he was doing that was because 
Well, one possibly, this is my own view, but possibly one of the reasons that he was, they, he was doing that with them was because they were looking for lots of answers. They wanted to know, you know, why he died. Was he the Messiah? Wasn't he the Messiah? What had happened to the body? So many questions, so many answers that they needed. And yet Jesus himself is the answer. That's the only answer that they needed. And because he took them right through that process of understanding what it meant for the Messiah to, to come, what the, what the Bible already has said, the prophetic words about him, because he took them right through that. By the end of that conversation, they were changed. They were transformed. And so when he revealed himself, their joy was, oh, wow. But what did they do? They then rushed back to tell everyone else. You know, he's alive. He really is alive. And they needed that understanding because... Because what did Jesus say after the crucifixion? You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. Some of you are going to be killed. So they needed to understand. They needed to know. They needed to have processed that with him. And Jesus walked patiently with them on the road to Emmaus through um, their pain and their confusion until they understood what was happening. And, and you know, he's so often he's like that with us, that when we are in um, difficult times, when we're going through a storm, he walks alongside us and he, he accompanies us and he takes us through that so that when we come out the other side, we can see good that comes out of it, even the most difficult circumstances, that we understand that actually he is good. And those seasons, they, you know, they don't last forever. These seasons, they, they come and they go. As we process with him, he takes us out of confusion, out of fear, out of grief, until we're in a place where we can trust him and be at peace and be courageous, knowing that he is good and knowing that he will bring good out of any situation that we face. But the thing that often scares us the most when bad things happen is not knowing what the outcome is going to be, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you could know in advance that the outcome was going to be good, it would be much easier to deal with. If I had known when I was going through all those nights when I couldn't sleep and I would literally cry with the pain and my husband wouldn't know what to do, if I had known that five years later... Someone was going, to be pray for, was going to pray for me and I was going to be miraculously healed and never have to take another tablet again. It would have been much easier to deal with the pain. But I didn't know that. And, and yet I did know that he was with me through that. So if we could know, then it would be much easier. But you see, in one sense, we do know. Because we only have to look at the promises. I was going to say in here, except like most of you, my Bible tends to be on my phone or on my laptop now. So, But you know what I mean. It's in the word. The promises are in the word. So what if we were to process sickness and old age through 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17, for example? Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Well, that kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Or how about this for an outcome? Romans 8:28, And we know that in all things... 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's the New Living Translation. And I love that word. Sometimes they say, um, and, and not to harm, but and not for disaster. Sometimes we know, we, we need to know that it's not going to be a disaster, don't we? Because that's what it can feel like. But his plans are good and they're to give us a future and a hope. And so when bad stuff comes, we need to process it with him as we pray, as we tell him how we're feeling, because we can do that. He knows anyway. And if you're an external processor like me, you will quite often stomp about the place telling God exactly how you feel. And if you're an internal processor, you're doing the same thing. It's just it's all going on inside. But he knows. And as we tell him that, and as we ask for wisdom and understanding, and as as we look for what he is doing in the situation, and as we look at those promises in his word, because those promises are not just for them, they're for today. His promises are eternal. Storms only last for a season, however traumatic they are at the time. I'm sure that Noah thought he was never going to get out of that ark, because he was actually in that ark for almost a year and again, I don't know about you, but can you imagine you would just get to the point when you just thought, I'm never going to really breathe fresh air again or stand on something that's not moving. Imagine when you first get off the ark. doesn't say this, but you'd hardly be able to stand upright, would you? Because the last year you've been kind of bobbing along on top of this kind of moving water. But it was it was just for a season. And, you know, my son didn't have cancer despite the initial test um, results. I did get healed. And most importantly, that coming through those experiences, I have really learned that God is my refuge and strength. And I know that I've matured and grown more spiritually through those things and more resilient through those things than anything else in my Christian life. Last December, I preached, um, I think December the 3rd, I was preaching on the tree of hope um, bears fruit that lasts and you can access it via the website if you want to listen to it and if you're struggling with feeling a bit hopeless at the moment you're struggling with keeping your hope then you might find it helpful but God gave me that preach way back uh, in the summer of last year it quite often happens with me and I kind of think around it for a bit and and then you know at some point get a chance I think okay this is a time to preach it and so I knew I was going to get the opportunity in December But not very long before that, what I didn't know was I was also going to get a chance to live it as well as to preach it. And so in the autumn, my husband lost his job and was at the same time diagnosed with prostate cancer. I then went to the GP with abdominal pain, which led to a scan, which showed that I had some kind of tumour in my pancreas. And um, being an ex-nurse, I know that, you know, pancreatic cancer doesn't have a very good prognosis. And yet, I was completely at peace in the middle of that very unexpected storm where just everything seemed to come together. And I just felt completely full of faith that it would be okay. I could trust God and it would be okay. And I don't mean that it would be okay in the sense that we'd all get healed and life would be lovely again. Actually, what I mean is it would be okay if I lived or if I died. Because that is where we have to get to a place of trusting God, knowing that it's okay if we live or if we die. I think as well, what God did in that process, he gave me kind of little little things to encourage me along the way. 
And so God never just leaves us with no encouragement. But when we're in the middle of a really difficult storm, it can be hard to look at what he is doing rather than what he's not doing. So I could look at what was happening with my, my husband and say, God's not healing him. But actually, um, he had to have surgical treatment. And, um, and we asked people to pray that he wouldn't experience severe symptoms afterwards because the particular treatment he was having um, could do that and expect, expected you to be very uncomfortable for, for some months afterwards. So um, we asked people to pray that. And the interesting thing was that um, some weeks after the op, when he had to go back for another clinic, we didn't even know why he was going just to see the doctor. Um, when he got there, it turned out to be a clinic to help you um, manage your symptoms. But he was able to say, well, I haven't really got any symptoms. You know, very slight discomfort, but I don't even have to take paracetamol. And they were trying to work out what they were going to give him to help him with his symptoms. So we're like, oh, wow. You know, God, he had to go through that treatment. But God answered the prayer um, about the symptoms. And actually, we could see where God was in that. And then, I mean, for him, he went back fairly, fairly recently, uh, sort of three months later. No, more than that now. Um, and he had to have a blood test, and we knew they were looking for the, whatever the figure was to come down. And um, so the figure that we, we, we were told at the GP, it was 0.3. I thought, well, sounds good, but I've really got no idea what that means. And so we went to see the oncologist, and she said, oh, your, your PSA is 0.3. And my husband said, well, is that okay? So she said, well, put it this way, at three months, if it was three, I would have been happy. She said, I've never seen one as low as 0.3. So it's like, yes, God, you know. So I can't say um, that, um, I mean, the indications are that it's completely dealt with. But actually, that doesn't matter because I trust God, whatever the future holds for us. And I've seen his encouragement along the way. Does that make sense to you, what I'm trying to say? Now, it's funny because I talked to to Pete about what was going on at this time and, um, you know, said, oh, you know, that was such a gift of God, that, that peace that, you know, passes understanding, really. And Pete said, no, it's not about that. He said, it's the fruit of your life with God. And what I realized was it's true. And it is that resilience and faith that comes through walking through those storms with him and having learned the ability to process with him rather than just, you know, within myself. And some of the other encouragements, you know, that he sort of gave me along the way. So for me, um, it did take quite a long time for them to find out that actually it wasn't cancer. It was a benign tumor. So thank you, God. But in the process, I'd have so many different scans. And um, I went for one particular scan. And I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, I was due to go for one scan. And um I was kind of thinking, oh, God, you know, I just really like to know one way or another what's going on here. And it was when Chris Vallison was here at the end of last year. And uh, as the, uh, the leader's here, we got some time with him afterwards. But during the conference, um, he said something. He, towards the end of the conference, he just got people to stand and he was praying with them. And he said, you know, and I feel like there um, are people here that are kind of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And, you know, um, God wants to, them to know that, you know, he's prepared a table for them. Now, what he didn't know was on my way to the church that morning, um, I had been listening to kind of worship songs um, on the, in the car 
And I was just kind of talking to God about what was going on. And I felt God got me, get me to speak out loud. It's the external process again. But to speak out loud the words of the 23rd Psalm. And when I got to the bit that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, he got me to repeat that bit and the table, I think about 12 times. And then I, until I kind of knew it was done. And then Chris comes up with this in the conference. So afterwards, because we had some time with him, I was able to say to him, look, Chris, sometimes when you say these things, you don't know if it's landed. But I want you to know this one really landed. And so he looked at me. So he listened and he looked at me and he just went, it will be a nothing. When I got to see the consultant and I walked in the door, he said, oh, before you start worrying, I just need you to know it's a nothing. And I'm like, thank you, God. So, you know, he gives us these encouragements. Yeah, I think he does deserve a clap for that. But what am I looking at? Am I looking at what he is doing or I'm looking at what it feels like he isn't doing? Because as we get encouraged in what he is doing, it kind of moves us along. And I think we see more. We see more of what God is doing. So I'm aware we're sort of running out of time here. So, okay. So what are some of the keys to processing these storms and this kind of bad stuff with God? Well, the first thing I would say, actually, is practice with the good stuff. Because our reaction to fear and pain and stress and things going on is is usually fairly instinctive and learned. So you know the whole kind of fight-flight thing? We have kind of things built in built with us, really. So, you know, if you see a lion, lion, you're probably going to flee because there's something instinctive in you. You won't think about it. You'll just do it. And so we learn, and we can learn lots of behaviors, you know, and we learn ways of dealing with stress. They're not always particularly helpful ways. Some people deal with it with anger. So, you know, um, something's going wrong and they kind of explode. Some people deal with it by kind of just disappearing inside and, you know, you can't get anything out of them because they just, no, I just don't want to think about that at the moment. So, you know, we all have different ways of doing it. So if you want to be good and quick at going to God and processing with God when the bad stuff comes along, then you need to practice with the good stuff. And what I mean by that is, you know, do you process your days with him or do you just kind of, you know, go through them and they just kind of pass by? You know, when something's happening at work, when you've got some, something difficult to do, do you just sit there and try and work it all out or do you, do you throw up a, a, a kind of word to God? You know, this is a difficult one. Can you help me sort this out? Do you understand what I'm doing? So, you know, as you go through your days, you start to process with God. You can just throw those those thoughts up to him. Do you ever say to him in the morning um, or even in the evening, you know, either, Lord, what are we going to be doing today? Or, Lord, you know, what do you want me to know about the day that I've just had? Do you give him a chance to have that conversation with you? You Now, God is the God of eternal conversation. We just don't ask him often enough to speak with us. Because if we get used to doing that in good times, then we're going to find it much easier to go there in the storms. Secondly, um, read the instruction manual. The promises are all in there. How well do you know them? I love the Psalms. When I'm having a tough time, I go to the Psalms and I declare them over myself and I just change it and put me in there. Because so often you can find the words that just really fit with how you're feeling. Um, or any of the other promises, some of the ones that we've, you know, we've talked about tonight. 
Look for what he is doing and thank him for what he's doing rather than focusing on what he isn't doing. And press in when it's tough. Am I right for time, Tim? Yeah. So press in when it's tough. So very quickly, and this will maybe appeal to some of you guys, and I apologize to all the ladies. I have three sons and a husband, so I, you know, it's affected me over the years, I'm afraid. Um, but rugby. My husband is a huge Saracens fans, uh, fan, and if any of you know anything about Saracens or don't know anything about Saracens, they are a very good English rugby team who kind of win quite a lot of things. But they started off the season pretty well, and then they had a really dire time in the middle. I think my husband said they, won, they lost something like seven or eight games in a row, or maybe it was more than that. And they got knocked out of the European Cup, which I think they won last year. But, of course, there was still the... Um, I'm afraid I don't know the terminology, but I think it's like the premiership thing, you know, that, that cup, like, like you can win that in football, you can win it in rugby as well. And, um, and so my husband was, you know, like, oh, you know, what, they, but, but do you know what happened? Suddenly something shifted and it started to change and they started really improving. That Saracens, one of the reasons my husband likes them is they have this fantastic team kind of mentality. And if you read any of their stuff, I mean, he, he sends me their leadership stuff. And I think, actually, you could apply that to us here. Because it's about so much about team, about, you know, family, about working for and with one another rather than, you know, just being sort of doing your own thing. And so, and they have this sort of very strong work ethic as well. And so, they went back to what they knew and they started to, to, to kind of focus on what they were good at and who they were in particular. And as they did that, something changed. And I had the privilege of being there at the final with my husband, watching him cheer as they won this year for having such a... So, you know, the thing is, sometimes when it's tough, what, what am I going on about? When it's tough, you have to press in, you have to remember what you know. And you have to go, right, I'm going back to what I know, back to my values, back to my understanding of God, back to rather than kind of taking ourselves out and isolating ourselves and then finding that actually we, we, we feel completely lost in the middle of it. So press in, press into God in those times and press in worship, even if you don't feel like it. You know, just put worship music on, press into that. I find it really hard to worship for any length of time. When I choose to do it, at some point there's a shift. And then I kind of feel that presence of God close again. And remember, big God, little devil. Who has the power over your life? I love this quote from Smith Wigglesworth. We were sleeping one night when the manifestation of evil filled the room and the spirit of fear gripped both of us. Polly, that's his wife, was so frightened she could not open her eyes. I suddenly sat up in the bed and saw the devil. I rubbed my eyes to be sure it was him. I don't know who he thought it was, but anyway. Um, I said, oh, it's only you. I then turned to Polly and told her to go back to sleep. It was nothing of consequence. And I laid my head back down. Suddenly an overwhelming sense of peace and love filled the room and we had the most blessed sleep ever. <laughs> The enemy has no power over you unless you let him. He's the father of lies, but God has given us everything we need to deal with that. Um, he gave us the armor. I'm not going to go into all that now, but, you know, read it. Helmet of salvation to protect your mind. The, the, the shield of faith, you know, that protects us from the fiery ones of the, uh, of, the, of the enemy. We have everything we need. He's a big God. And then finally and lastly, and I'm going to finish with this. Release God from your expectations of what he should do in the storm. 
The disciples had their expectations. When Jesus was asleep in the boat, they did not think he should have been asleep. They thought he should have been up there doing something. And I have been so impacted by something that Danny Silk said. You know, when we're struggling with the bad stuff, when we're going through a violent storm, we so often spend our time crying out why to God. You know, why is this happening to me? Why don't you do something? Why don't you fix it? But when we say why, we're not really looking for understanding. What we're saying is, I'm not okay. I can't do this anymore. I don't like it. You have to fix it for me. And the question Danny says we should be asking is not why, but what? God, this is a situation. What do you want to do? Another time when I was um, going for one of these scans, I was sitting there waiting. I had to drink loads of water and stuff. So I was sat there, you know, just minding my own business. And um, a lady came in. And it was very busy. So she, she went to the desk. It was a private hospital, so it was quite small. And she went to the desk, and I heard her say to, to somebody there, oh, I, I've come in, I, I need um, a, a mammogram and a, a chest x-ray. So I thought, ah, again, ex-nurse, you're thinking, okay, she's having a mammogram because obviously they're worried about breast cancer, but if they're doing a chest x-ray as well, perhaps they're thinking there might be something else going on. And she was so anxious, you could just see it all over her. She was just, you know, rigid with it. So she went and sat down, and she was kind of, you know, moving things and, and sighing, you know, when you're trying to get control of yourself and so anxious. And I thought, well, I can't do anything. She sat between all these other people. And then I thought, yes, I can. So I'm saying, God, okay, I'm going to start to release peace over her. So I started to release peace over her. I'm just praying in my head and asking. And, you know, I watched that woman just calm down completely until she was just sitting there completely at peace. What is it, God, you want to do? with this situation, not why am I sitting here having to have this scan and, you know, not knowing whether it's going to be good or bad. Yeah. Psalm 37, verse 5. So commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. Commit your way is like the whatever God, I'm with you. It doesn't mean I'm just going to, you know, sort of, try really hard, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to do everything for you. No, it's like, whatever, God, I'm committed to you. I'll go with you. Like when the disciples, you know, Jesus said to disciples, are you going to leave me as well? And they go, where else will we go? No, whatever, God, I'm with you. I'm committed to that, what, your way. And then trust him. Trust that his solution is better than mine. Because I could come up with lots of solutions, but God knows the whole picture. God knows the future, and his plans for me are to give me a future and a hope. So his solution is always going to be better than anyone I can come up with. And expecting that he will act, and that it will not be a disaster, but he will take me through this season and on into the next, into a future that is bright, into a future that is filled with his hope. I hope that was helpful. I know that for some of you, you might be going through some difficult times. And as we're finishing now, I'm hoping there are some folk that can come up. Yeah, if you want prayer for anything, you know, if you feel you need prayer, particularly in that area or for anything else, you know, please come up at the end of the service.